0: The following program is produced and furnished in conjunction with John Thomas Flynn, who is entirely responsible for its content. Welcome to Ask the CIO, SLED edition on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Now your host, John Thomas Flynn. Welcome to Ask the CIO, SLED edition on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I'm John Thomas Flynn. I'm broadcasting today at the AWS Public Sector Summit in Washington, D.C., and I've had the opportunity to meet and interview some of the attendees. With me now is Chris Scherra, who is the Division of Behavioral Health and Recovery State Opioid Coordinator at the Washington State Healthcare Authority. Chris, welcome to the show. It's good to have you. I appreciate you taking the time. I Thank know you. how busy everybody is around here. Uh, you had a uh, you have a very provocative title, and you were involved yesterday, and I think it was the first, the kickoff, really, of the of the breakout sessions on state and local. And it was entitled "Battling the Opioid Crisis uh, with Help from the Cloud." Why don't you tell us a little bit about the message that uh, your primary message yesterday uh, during your panel with your colleagues?
1: Sure. So, in my role as the state opioid coordinator, I monitor and maintain. Washington's state opioid response plan Uh, we have a number of work groups and activities that are associated with that plan one of which is our data work group which underscores the importance of having a robust system of data collection so that you can evaluate your response to the opioid crisis and yesterday's session uh, when we talk about the cloud what we're talking about is essentially making data more accessible and more usable by all of the agencies and individuals that are our stakeholders and that have a vested interest in uh, responding to this crisis. Traditionally, uh, data warehouses for health surveillance data and the the opioid data that we're collecting are are housed in in in-house servers. They are siloed uh, each agency would have their own sets of data that's m- scrubbed and monitored by their own epidemiologists, and sharing that data quickly and in a meaningful way is sometimes difficult and cumbersome. And, and let me just uh, just to uh, clarify. So when you say the agencies
0: and the silos, how many how many different agencies are we <coughs> talking about? There must be a lot when you think about it. everything from the healthcare to public safety to corrections, does it cover all those gamuts? It,
1: it covers a lot of different agencies and so uh, I would say that just in Washington state there are dozens of uh, government agencies that we would work with uh, at the state and local level. Uh, and then you also have uh, a variety of healthcare care organizations, uh, clinics, providers, managed care organizations. Uh, things of that nature so uh, I couldn't give you an exact count but there's quite a few uh, Uh different agencies that we would work with that we would want to either collect data from or share data with
0: and is it uh, I know it uh, 20 years ago when I was in the middle of stuff sharing data with between departments was always a challenge is it loosened up a little bit Uh, do everybody want to come on board you're still getting that's our data you can't have it kind of Uh, reaction from some some folks
1: in Washington State the spirit of collegiality is is pretty good Uh, and so sharing data I have found in my time since I've been in Washington that sharing data is not as difficult as it has been in other places Uh, but that being said all of the data that I have an interest in in responding to the opioid crisis is not available uh, to me through our uh, cloud platform. Uh, And so what that means is that uh, getting that data just takes a little bit more work and time. I might have to contact someone, ask someone for permission to gather data and to use it and things of that nature.
0: Well I could see where that would be still a a challenge and and like I said when I asked that question I imagine there's just uh, dozens and dozens of departments that would have that information. And that's kind of the whole objective of things you're doing is trying to get that data into one place and doing so Uh, the cloud certainly facilitates that.
1: Right, and I always tell people that collecting data is good, but doing something with that data is better. Um, And you can't make decisions on data that you can't analyze, and having all the data accessible uh, in the cloud makes uh, analyzing the data easier.
0: And when you instituted that program, uh, tell me about the, you know, how, how did it come about? Why did you decide to go with it? How was it working in the past, and why was the cloud able to make it work a whole lot better?
1: Well, let me just say that I've, I'm f- relatively new to Washington State. I've been uh, with the Health Care Authority for four months, so uh, I don't have my head entirely wrapped around the, the historical context of, of this issue. But uh, what I can say is that prior to uh, the type of flexibility and functionality that the the cloud provides. If uh, a provider wanted to talk to uh, another healthcare provider about some data related to a client, perhaps uh, that exchange of data was only seamless and quick if they were both using the same electronic health record. And we all know that in healthcare, electronic health records are like. It's like soda. Some people like Pepsi. Some people like Coke. Yeah, and you it, mentioned that it, yesterday, and I, I guess that's true.
0: But I don't think a lot of people realize that. I thought we all went to medical electronic medical records with uh, was it HIPAA that started that uh, nationwide approach. But it's still not uh, where it should be.
1: Huh? Well, and it's just the you know electronic health <laughs> records are uh, proprietary systems that are developed by companies that uh, have a responsibility to their shareholders, uh, and so that I think they naturally want to have more market share. Uh, and so uh, the bottom line is, it's very easy to communicate between electronic health records if they're both the same. Oftentimes, they're not, and that's where the cloud comes in. It makes it much easier to share data between these uh, varying and different electronic platforms.
0: Mm-hmm. I know a good friend, Clark Kelso, who was a CIO in California a couple of reigns after me, he's now the receiver for the healthcare system in the prison system. And he's got a 500 million dollar project right now for to uh, make the prison medical records electronic. 500 million dollars. You imagine that? I said, why don't you just get everybody a concierge doctor or something? Why do you need to spend that kind of money? But anyway, uh, you you said you were back in you were in a clinical involvement before you got involved with the state. Mm-hmm. What's the biggest difference in working in the private sector? Was it a private sector health company?
1: Actually. Uh, uh- make a long story short I served in the army for six years and I was a a mental health specialist I uh, spent one year at Fort Sam Houston in Texas and five years at Fort Leonard Wood in Missouri and I worked in uh, the Fort Leonard Wood Army Community Hospital we served primarily service members uh, spouses and their children but we also served the the surrounding community and so the bulk of my um, clinical experience is dealing with PTSD, traumatic brain injury, the types of uh, issues that you would see with soldiers who are, uh, you know, post-deployment issues. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that's my clinical experience. So my clinical experience is a little bit different because I was in the military.
0: Mm -hmm. Did you, uh, was that job advertised, or how did you find out about it? Did you kind of get a job and and create the title, or how did that
1: work out? Well, I was talking to, uh, I was really just interested in joining the Army so that I could uh, have a means to pay for college was the main reason I I signed up. But then the recruiter was asking me what I was interested in, and I said, well, I'm kind of interested in psychology. And he said, well, we have this job where you could work uh, in a hospital setting with psychologists. Psychiatrists, psychologists, social workers, and things of that nature, and I thought that that uh, sounded interesting. And also I was interested because there was a high level of transferability to civilian occupations. Uh
0: huh. Were you, uh, had you gone to college before this? Or as you said, I think you used that as your your veteran benefits. Thank you for your service, by the way, uh, Chris.
1: My pleasure. I went to college uh, part-time while I was in the military. Then when I separated from the service in 2005, I finished uh, at Columbia College in Columbia, Missouri as a traditional student. Uh, And then once I finished college, I I moved back home to Kentucky, Uh, went to graduate school and one thing led to another and that's kind of how I got involved in government work. Mm -hmm.
0: So what's the best, uh, what's the most exciting and what's the best thing about the job you're doing right now?
1: I think the most exciting thing about my job right now is that I get to travel around Washington State and also around the country and I get to meet like-minded individuals who are also very much invested in solving the opioid crisis. Uh, I mentioned yesterday that really at the end of the day I feel like I'm in the business of saving lives. The main thing that inspires me is that uh, I I realize that uh, people are dying every day, that uh, communities are being ravaged by the opioid crisis, and that uh, uh, we're losing, some families are losing entire generations to the opioid crisis. And I'm just excited to be working in Washington State where we have a really great team of gifted and talented individuals who are dedicated to solving this problem.
0: With that, we're going to take a short break now. My guest today is Chris Shera, who's the state opioid coordinator in Washington State with Health Care Authority, the Division of Behavioral Health and Recovery. You're listening to Ask the CIO SLED edition on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I'm John Thomas Flynn.
1: Who are the women making Washington, D.C. smarter, better? Listen and find out. Search Women of Washington at Federal News Network.
0: WELCOME BACK TO ASK THE CIO Sled EDITION ON FEDERAL NEWS RADIO, PART OF THE FEDERAL NEWS NETWORK. I'M JOHN THOMAS FLYNN. I'M SPEAKING WITH MY GUEST, CHRIS SHERA, WHO IS THE STATE OPIOID COORDINATOR AT THE WASHINGTON STATE Healthcare AUTHORITY. CHRIS, BEFORE WE TOOK A BREAK, WE WERE TALKING ABOUT HOW DEVASTATING THIS ISSUE CAN BE, AND ONE OF THE THINGS YOU ALLUDED TO EARLIER, AND YOU MADE THIS A POINT DURING THE PANEL YESTERDAY, AND THAT WAS THAT YOU HAVE THE DATA. YOU'VE COLLECTED SO MUCH DATA. Now it's time really to do something with it. Is that, is that the message you were kind of convey yesterday?
1: Right. Uh, and so uh, earlier when I said, you know, collecting data is good, doing something with it is better, uh, the reason that we put so much emphasis on data collection and usage is because it tells the story of what we're doing. We uh, can collect that data and we can determine whether or not our interventions are effective Uh, perhaps they're effective in one area of the state and not another area of the state so uh, we can use data to make our interventions more targeted uh, and and it just can help us respond to this crisis in a more meaningful way
0: you you probably don't uh, know this individual her name is Perry Rosen dr. Perry Rosen she's with the state of Pennsylvania and she's a behavioral psychologist if you will and they're using uh, data analytics to identify uh, SUICIDAL CHILDREN AND ALSO PEOPLE with, uh, WITH DRUG PROBLEMS IN GRADE SCHOOL AND HIGH SCHOOL THROUGH THE USE OF uh, DATA ANALYTICS, AND IT'S QUITE AN quite INTERESTING PROGRAM THAT SHE'S RUNNING THERE. BUT BACK TO YOUR ISSUE of, uh, OF THE DATA, SO LET'S SAY YOU HAVE THAT DATA, WHAT CAN YOU DO WITH it?
1: Well, uh, so I, the, the future is, is bright, and I think that uh, there are a lot of things that we can do with the data that I probably don't even understand yet, because it's important to understand that I'm not a technologist. I am a, a person with a clinical background and also have been involved in government policy work for the last uh, 15 years or so. This could be a question that would be better suited for a technologist, but, uh, but I'll take a crack at it. I was talking earlier about, uh, you know, saving lives, and, uh, and the deaths associated with the opioid crisis, that's just the tip of the iceberg. Underneath that, you would have a host of underlying uh, health problems uh, associated with uh, the opioid crisis, like increased rates of HIV, hepatitis C, things of that nature. If we could collect data to see where those hot spots are for uh, HIV or hepatitis C, uh, infections we could perhaps get ahead of it and prevent an outbreak, or we could deploy uh, public health workers to increase access to treatment services for those health conditions or to perhaps distribute syringes to reduce the the likelihood that those diseases would be spread things of that mm-hmm. nature
0: is this is this somewhat the old adage you know treating the uh, symptoms and not the disease i mean what with this kind of information and you were alluding we 've alluded to the uh, specifically the, the human loss, and I think you also said, if I'm not mistaken, it was, or one of your panelists, $600 billion a year, perhaps, mm-hmm. is what this cost the economy in terms of uh, lost wages and healthcare and all the other, uh, all the other factors attributable to it. Um, what else could be done, really? I mean, is this a situation like we had in the 20s of a, a prohibition-type thing? Are the penalties enough? What do you really do to try to combat this thing given the, the dangers involved and also the, uh, even the, uh, the human rights issues involved?
1: Well, the medical literature indicates that the best uh, treatment for uh, opioid use disorder is m- starts with medications for opioid use disorders. That in and of itself can be controversial uh, in some communities because uh, the types of medications that uh, we would see being used are themselves opioids, and so it's counterintuitive to, to some folks, uh, but the medical literature indicates pretty clearly that uh, when a person enters treatment with medications, that they're much more likely to remain abstinent, to be employed, to be adequately housed, and things of that nature. And like you mentioned, it is very much, uh, it's a public health crisis, but uh, for some folks, it's also a, an economic and workforce development issue.
0: Yeah. Um it seems to me that uh, as we look at this in terms of, like we said, is there a, is there a punishment? Uh, you know, there, you, you read about the uh, the drugs from illicit pharmacists. You read about the drugs from coming across the border. Uh, there's all kinds of things, things, it seems to me, that could be done on a proactive way to prevent some of this stuff. Is theres is there two sides to this battle, the one you're talking about from the— clinical side and another side from law enforcement or am I off base there? And I don't mean law enforcement from arresting somebody for being stoned, I'm talking about uh, drug smugglers and the like.
1: So uh, an interesting point that I would I would make is that uh, the agency that seizes more uh, drugs uh, than any other state, than all other state, local, and federal agencies combined is the United States Coast Guard. And they do that with essentially four frigates. Uh, they patrol uh, the waters uh, in, on the Pacific side and also in the Caribbean. Uh, and so, really, uh, I think the bulk of, of enforcement in terms of uh, stopping the, the drug trade starts with the Coast Guard. And I think it would be better, we would be better served by increasing funding for the Coast Guard. Of course, that's my opinion. Hey, these interviews
0: carry, carry a lot of wick, great <laughs> Chris. <laughs> uh,
1: but I view uh, law enforcement, when you think of police uh, and uh, fire and EMS that are out there patrolling the communities, I, I would rather see them uh, as more of a linkage to treatment and care for individuals struggling with opioid use disorder rather than just arresting them and throwing them in jail. You may have heard this phrase, but uh, we can't arrest our way out of this problem. Research indicates that if you arrest someone put them in jail and then when they get out they just return to use if they're not uh, if they're not given access to treatment services right.
0: but I go back to that Pennsylvania experience with the uh, using data analytics, and what they're trying to do is identify children at a relatively young age all the way through high school uh, to identify them if they have some kind of mental illness issue and that mental illness could be that could involve could involve anything from uh, suicide to drug use. Mm-hmm. Okay, so obviously, if they're able to identify at a relatively young age people that are more susceptible to it, because the numbers of in suicide in, in K through 12 are staggering, but um, I would think that would be a very, very important point. If you catch this when they're young, when they're when they're young enough, maybe that's uh, part of the answer
1: here. That is part of the answer, and uh, you may have heard of this uh, study. Uh, Kaiser Permanente conducted a study uh, on adverse childhood experiences, and so an adverse childhood experience could be something like if a parent is incarcerated, if a parent is using drugs in the house, if if the, the parents are verbally or physically abusive towards each other or to the child, Uh, things of that nature and so each one of those counts as an adverse childhood experience and so they surveyed all of these children and the research indicates that the more adverse childhood experiences that you have the more likely you are to use tobacco to be promiscuous at a young age to be involved in Substance use and things of that nature so there's a lot of research that is going into that very concept that you uh, just mentioned
0: so Let's say you had a magic wand, Chris Shera. What would you do about this issue, particularly in the United States? What would you try to do?
1: I would increase access to medications for the treatment of opioid use disorder because that uh, research indicates that's the most effective intervention we've found thus far. I would increase access to syringe exchange programs, which are controversial. Uh, some people see that as enabling them, uh, but the research uh, is can't, can't be disputed that uh, syringe exchange programs uh, reduce the spread of HIV and hepatitis C, and also individuals who encounter syringe exchange program services are significantly more likely to enter treatment and uh, cease use of substances. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, continuing that thought, if if so much of it is uh, is picked up on the way in from, let's say, the Coast Guard and other public safety organizations, what about the, uh, the pharmacies and the suppliers and the doctors? Is that as big an issue?
1: It is a big issue, and we're seeing that play out right now. Uh, you may have heard in the state of Oklahoma, they're uh, getting ready to enter into some litigation with Johnson & Johnson over the opioid crisis. Uh, there are two other pharmaceutical companies, Purdue. Uh, And the name of the second one escapes me they settled with the state of Oklahoma for 300 million dollars just two pharmaceutical companies so Oklahoma right now is kind of the litmus test for the rest of the country both with litigation and also settlements related to the opioid crisis Uh, I think you can't deny that it was a combination of uh, erroneous practices by pharmaceutical uh, industries. And the doctors themselves, right? And the physicians themselves in some cases. Also there were some uh, individuals in academia that misrepresented research. And also to be quite honest, uh, feckless government oversight uh, as well. And so there's a a host of factors that really led to this crisis becoming what it is today. You know, just
0: to interrupt because we're almost done. But I should have brought this up at the very beginning. When we say opioid, I think some people, including myself, are somewhat confused by it. And we're talking not only heroin, but there's also fentanyl Describe a little bit about what this opioid really uh, description really is.
1: So uh, opioids can be uh, heroin, like you mentioned. Also, carfentanyl and fentanyl uh, are both uh, opioids. And
0: they're they're those are manufactured. I. Those assume. are
1: those are manufactured. Uh, fentanyl is uh, anesthesia, I believe, and I I think carfentanyl was designed to be a tranquilizer for large animals like bears and elephants. And so. <laughs> A lot of it comes from China. A lot of it's manufactured in China uh, illicitly. And, and of course, you know, they don't have uh, an FDA monitoring their safety standards. Mm-hmm. Uh, but opioids can also be things like uh, Percocet uh, and Oxycontin. Those are, are uh, prescription opioids uh, that a lot of people have heard of and that have uh, in part uh, contributed to the crisis.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, put your uh, fortune teller hat on, uh, Chris. What do you think is going to happen in five years in this program? with uh, the situation in the United States, I mean.
1: Well, uh, with respect to the opioid crisis, I really feel like we're kind of at the precipice of seeing a decline in a lot of the overdose uh, death numbers that we've been seeing and a lot of the associated health costs. Uh, And it's taken some time. It's taken a lot of research and it's taken a lot of uh, ingenuity uh, on the part of uh, government administrators like myself and also my, my chain of command back in Washington State. Uh, But that's not to say that we can celebrate or rest on our laurels, you know, in Washington state right now we're seeing a spike in issues and deaths related to methamphetamine use. So sometimes you feel like you're playing a game of whack-a-mole where if you, you tamp one down and then another issue pops up. So five years from now I would expect to see the health issues and the deaths associated with the opioid crisis to be decreasing. But that's not to say another problem couldn't pop up. Yeah.
0: You know, your panel was, uh, was kicked off yesterday by a very moving speech and presentation by the First Lady of the state of North Dakota, Catherine Burgum, uh who started off by asking the audience, so probably 150 to 200 people, how many folks in the audience had someone in their family that was affected through, uh, by an addiction? And how would you say 80, 90 percent of the people in the room stood up? Yes, Incredible. I stood up. Yeah, me too. And there was a few people that and she asked about who's actually in a recovery program mm-hmm. there were a number of people as well so it's uh, it affects uh, almost everyone in one respect or another whereas family or friends i think you get a hundred percent it's very sad but her uh, her presentation was very very moving and i was really impressed with uh, her ability to articulate it as well as she did and point out the issues and not only that the passion she demonstrated yes and i think you're demonstrating the same uh passion chris I want to thank you. Uh, That's going to conclude our program today. I want to thank our guest, Chris Shera, and thank you for listening. Content from this state and local program, which also includes curated news and original articles by yours truly and other more esteemed authors as part of the recently expanded AskTheCIO.com. I hope you can join us again each Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time or listen to a podcast afterwards. Until then, bye for now. I'm John Thomas Flynn. You've been listening to Ask the CIO, Sled Edition with John Thomas Flynn on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Tune in Thursday mornings at 11 or subscribe to this show on iTunes or Podcast One.